Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, we are continuing our fortnightly property news update episode. And I'm really excited to have Raj Sharma here with me to help along with all the latest news that's been happening in the property market, which over the last couple of months just seems to be non-stop. So welcome, Raj. Thanks for joining me. Brilliant. Thank you very much, uh, Rod. Thanks for asking me. So Raj, as a quick intro to everyone listening, do you want to quickly tell us about what you do and, and how we know each other? Yeah, so so I'm based in Birmingham, so I'm Birmingham born and bred, and uh, I my day job is I run a design and print company. So coming up to twenty years of of running that, but you know we've been involved in property, you know over those years really with family. But now I'm really sort of concentrating on building a, a portfolio of mainly HMOs, and uh, the way we know each other, I mean, I'm doing so under your careful guidance, right? If I may say so, <laughs> as being a member of the Boardroom Club, but also co-host of uh, Partners in Property, the Birmingham meeting. So our, our paths cross a fair bit. Absolutely. And I've got to say that Birmingham meeting is fantastic. So anyone that's looking for a good daytime networking meeting with other property professionals, it's definitely one to check out. It's cheap as chips, includes lunch. It's all day. So people going there are normally kind of full-time into property so let's crack on because there is so much stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks in terms of property news what's the main one that you've seen in the news at the moment rod i think one that sort of stood out for me uh, this week was the holiday let's planning uh, news yeah. so basically there's an open consultation at the moment and there's i saw on facebook you know in facebook property world bit of confusion around things that the uh, rent to SA market is dead etc so I, I think it's always good to dig a bit deeper into these things and and go to the source i looked at the consultation sort of paper that that the government want to do and that's running from 12th of april to 7th of june and they're going to be looking at ways of tackling some problems that the short term the holiday lets has caused in certain areas is that things like those typical tourist hotspots so we're talking Parts of Cornwall, I guess, and yeah. things. So what's the problem they're trying to solve here? Well, I think they're looking at, in their consultation paper, they've referred to, you know, various sort of like, you know, the levelling up and the plans that councils have for uh, housing needs. And they think that the service accommodation industry is, is a big threat to that. And, uh, you know, taking properties out of the market for, say, first-time buyers or families. And, you know, MPs have even said, Things like that, you know, communities are being hollowed out, you know, with second, third, fourth, you know, home owners. They're not living there, but, you know, maybe using it as a holiday home or letting it out. You know, I think there's a fine balance because, you know, we want tourism and we want people to visit the different places and, and it's good for the local economy. Yeah. And, you know, disruptive companies like Airbnb, et cetera, have really you know facilitated entrepreneurs to be able to do that. And, you know, but when you've got numbers like you mentioned Cornwall, you know, Cornwall has a 661% rise in accommodation for short lets, short let listings in the last five years. Wow, that is a massive. Yeah, yeah. What they're saying is that, 
you know, it's not the best thing for communities to flourish. And there's concerns, the usual concerns, I think 50 odd people, 50% of people who were, you know, consulted locally said noise and, you know, antisocial behavior, you know, not really conducive to good communities, really. I totally agree. I mean, I wouldn't want to live next to sort of two different, like, on either side, holiday lets where I don't mm. get to know my neighbours, people are only there for the busy times of the month and it changes all the time. I can totally understand that. Um, and I can totally understand the fact that actually it's taking housing stock away from, well, rentals, really, mm. where you've got people on ASTs that, and we have a massive shortage of stock. So I totally understand that. And like you said, it's a fine balance because we do want tourism. We do want, I know if I go to well, Cornwall, for example, with my family, I don't really want to stay in a hotel. I'm going to want kind of a, a whole house or a holiday let. That's going to be perfect for us. So I totally yeah. get that side of things. And I think it's, am I right in saying that what one of the considerations they're looking at is to still allow homeowners a certain amount of days to let out their property but if they want to do it as a holiday let, they need to seek planning. And yes. already in Scotland, I think it's from last October, I know that they brought out a new licensing scheme whereby anyone wanting to do that had to have a specific license for that. Um, so it's not a new thing, no, really. No, no uh, it's a, yeah, it's, it's not a new thing. For example, London has the 90-day rule, doesn't yeah. it, after which there's planning required. But I think what was interesting is, and there's a lot of parallels here with the HMO, the whole HMO regime, that they're looking to, the consultation is looking at a new use class, C5. So a C5 and some permitted development rights as well attached to that. Okay, so interesting. What, so what will actually happen is very similar to HMOs with the whole, you know, C3 to C4. So, so they're going to stick an Article 4 in Cornwall and all the tourist hotspots. Exactly. So they say they call them the, the areas of concern will, you know, councils will seek to put a Article 4 in that to remove those permitted development rights. Sure. Uh, you know, I think there's already tightening of things. I, I didn't fully appreciate this, but when I was looking into this new story, but, you know, there's already from this month, from April 2023, there's tightening up on, on the qualification of business rates for SA properties. So what they're saying is that the, the property must be available to be let for 140 days and actually let for 70 days in the previous 12 months to get business rates. Because everyone obviously... Yeah, I did actually them. know about that. And it was one of those things where people in, in very seasonal places where obviously the, the tourist time is going to be in specific seasons are really going to struggle with that. So what they'll end up doing is just kind of, I don't know, renting out to a mate or a family member for a week and making sure yeah. that someone's in there for that yeah. time. I mean, there's yeah. like most things that local government and councils do, a lot of it is kind of legislation is one thing, but how enforceable is it? As I yeah. know, obviously, with like we talked about HMO licensing, um, it's not always the most enforceable thing. And no. do the councils and local authorities have the manpower to go and actually get out there and do that? I mean, they don't think to have much manpower or competence to do much these days, do they? But no. yeah, no. yeah. So, well, interesting one for the service accommodation market. I, I guess one other point just before we move on from that is that one of the things that people seem to be shifting towards that service accommodation model in order to fight these increased costs that they're getting, not just from interest rates, but inflation in general. Mm. So you do see a lot of kind of buy-to-let landlords suddenly going, well, if I want to keep this property as an investment, 
I need to make some more income. So I'm going to have to put a bit more effort into the management of it and really asset manage the hell out of this. And either, I don't know, try and convert to HMO, try and do short-term lets. And I do get the feeling that lots of buy-to-let landlords are considering or have considered that over the past few months. Again, it's just one of those things. It's, is that then creating less stock for the rental market and driving rents up? Who knows? Well, probably yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah. And of course, the other thing on that, right, is with the introduction of regulation, et cetera, um, is always opportunity, isn't it? There's opportunity on, on how to Absolutely. consolidate your business, make it better. There's going to be planning around new builds for, you know, for essays. So anyone looking to really, you know, step up their business and uh, get those uses, you know, uh, whether through, you know, sort of uh, just documenting that, that usage or going through, you know, a certificate of lawfulness, we'll have the opportunity to do that now. Yeah, look, any barrier to entry is actually a great thing for those already in the market because it allows them to pick up market share. So it's not always a negative for investors. Um, so another news story that's been all over the kind of Financial Times and the broadsheets last couple of weeks has been about commercial property. And a lot of this is stemming from the US. So it's looking at, right, the next crisis is linked to the banking crisis where these regional banks, but it's actually commercial property, which has a lot of loans due to a lot of these regional banks. So a lot of these regional banks are heavily exposed to commercial property. And there's a lot of loans coming to their end that need to be refinanced. And obviously, some of those capital values have now come down. Are they going to be able to refinance? So how does that kind of transfer over to the UK? Well, there's definitely an element of that in the UK. It's not quite as bad as the US because our banking system does seem to be a bit healthier, less exposure to that. But certainly, I mean, if we look at the office market, we've got capital values down by 15% on the whole since 2018. And so if landlords are now looking to refinance, you've got a tighter spread against the risk-free rate for yields for a start. And then obviously, you've got a lower capital value there than five years ago. So that could be concerning. So I'd expect, I mean, the office market's a difficult one because you've got sort of different facets. If you're looking at prime London, it seems to be doing all right. Mm. But where you start looking at other areas, those sign of secondary, tertiary areas, those buildings seem to be struggling. Another issue that's coming up with commercial property or in the last week has been the MEES regs. So MEES is, stands for Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards. And what it's meant is that from April 2023, no commercial property can be let out that's an F or below. And that includes any leases that are to be renewed or new leases. So that's an issue because we've got 34,000 commercial properties that do not meet those EPC standards. So that's a lot of commercial properties there. The biggest sector that's at risk from this are cinemas theatres music halls so they are the ones at risk and to be honest they're at risk anyway just with the general economy because people aren't going out to those as much anymore so they're getting a kind of double hit so we're expecting to possibly see some damage to that sector coming in again if you've got lower value areas again this kind of means more capital expenditure to keep 
to get those kind of up and running, sometimes it might not be worth it. So it's a really, really tricky one. The most hit area in the UK for the biggest proportion of commercial real estate being under that threshold is in Richmondshire. I think that's over in, in the northeast. I'm not too sure. But the most amount of properties at risk is in Westminster in central London. So that's probably just because it's so densely populated with commercial real estate, but still a lot of properties there. So yeah, that's definitely one to watch. In the US, yeah. it's more affected by the banking issue, but it's still of concern here, but slightly healthier. What I saw in, in, in that report, Rod, was a large amount of those properties with low EPCs were on sale. So yeah. obviously people are trying to get out of are trying to get out of that rather than do all of the, you know, because I mean, it quite helpfully gave a quick big list of what people need to do to get them up to standard, you know, replacing boilers, installing double glazing, uh, wall insulation, renewable energy sources. But that's all, you know, uh, looking into it myself, you know, developing a couple of small HMOs at the moment, all of that adds massive cost to, to the to your budget. And so I can see how people are, again, opportunity, I guess, for some of this coming on, you know, you mentioned the offices, which is beleaguered anyway, isn't it? After the pandemic with more hybrid working and uh, well, it, it, et cetera. It depends so, who you ask, Raj, if you're asking all the kind of apples and amazons they're all getting back into the office now yeah they? So well that's right yeah. yeah 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 i mean just I've, I've heard from a couple of family members actually who are responsible for you know staff and you know our management positions and they really sort of forcing people to come into the office and of course like look sort of almost I mean, whether this is right or wrong but they look down on people who don't come into the office because they seem to think that are these people working or not yeah, and it's going to be obviously industry and sort of job specific there, but I totally agree. I think when you've got hard times in the economy and businesses maybe are a bit under pressure, they're going to be doing everything they can to ensure and start to micromanage a bit more and make sure people are coming in. And that's what we're seeing. Yes. Um, so I do think it's tricky. Again, in terms of kind of the costings, you've got to look at where where they these properties are and the lower value areas are going to suffer more aren't they because yep. more difficult to put that capital value in so yeah interesting on the commercial property front definitely want to keep an eye on it's not just about the interest rates increasing although that is a, a big issue one of the other things that is kind of linked to this so i kind of look at quite a lot of the reits and how they are forming and if any listeners there want to go back and listen to our investment masterminds, we talk a fair bit about REITs in those. Um, but one interesting thing is people quite often look at the NAV, which is the net asset value of REITs. So technically what that is meant to mean is if what are these properties or the assets within that REIT worth if they need to be sold. And sometimes the share price of REITs can trade below the NAV, so at a discount to the net asset value or at a premium. And what we've seen over the last kind of, I don't know, three, six months is lots of these REITs share prices trading at a big, big discount to their net asset value. Now, one of the points I think I brought up on one of the Mastermind episodes was how on earth are they calculating the net asset value? Because it surely the share price is an indication of what people are willing to transact at. And what we're starting to see now is where those share prices were trading at, say, 30 
percent below the net asset value. What we're starting to see now is a lot of these REITs adjusting what that net asset value is and adjusting it right down. So actually, they're no the share price is the same, but they're no longer trading at that much of a discount because the net asset value has come right down. So I think investors need to be a little bit wary of looking at REITs just on any discount or premium to net asset value because it's yeah it can be distorted let's say that so you've got to be careful there and then obviously once you see actually the discount isn't as big as i thought it was what happens to the share price that comes down again so just another point on that commercial kind of real estate side okay what's next what about this story on londoners and the quality of housing that there is yeah, so uh, that was one that surprised me, if I'm honest, being a, you know, sort of a brummy and uh, looked down upon by many Londoners in my own family. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, the news was that more Londoners live in poor quality homes than any other UK region. Is that so, just because there's more people in London or is it done as a percentage? It's done as a percentage. So that they said 16%. Wow. Okay. 16%. And uh, West Midlands wasn't too far away for at 14%. But what they what they're saying is that there's basically six point five million people who live in in poor quality housing nationally, wow. and uh, and the measure there is where the the property is not in a good state of repair, the heating, electric, plumbing is not in good order, and damp is present. So mm. you know that's quite a number, and I just found it sort of you know, and I was I was thinking that you know people want to rush to London, you know, and I was just sort of talking from my own sort of experience within you know family members etc and also I've got obviously links with India if I told them this story in India they wouldn't believe me you know they, <laughs> yeah, they yeah. just wouldn't believe me they'd say like London is it, going it, to it, London it, to seek our fortune yeah exactly <laughs> so you know the streets are paved with gold but clearly not all of them <laughs> yeah, and not the properties unfortunately <laughs> oh my goodness well and just on that damp subject so I mean we as a landlord, we're constantly, every winter, you're dealing with condensation issues. And this is always going to be one of these tricky things to, to do because we've heard the news stories in the past where you've seen kind of a lot of housing association properties and council-run properties where, I mean, I think Panorama did an episode and it was just disgusting, the amount of literally water pouring off the ceilings and black mould everywhere. But you do get cases where condensation comes because it's about how the people in there live um, mm. in terms of it's, you've got to have ventilation you've got to have somewhere for the air to go you've got to kind of make sure the bathroom fans are turned on and not yeah. switched off you've got to make sure windows are open and things like that when you're cooking um so it is difficult for landlords there to ensure actually how do they make sure that their tenants are operating that property fully i'm, I'm not saying that everyone's perfect and all landlords are great, but there's definitely an element of that. I think it's just going to be hard for people to believe. So if you are a landlord concerned about that, I would just say, make sure you're doing those inspections on the property. So if you can see any condensation starting to build up, try and educate those tenants as to why that's happening and what they can do to stop that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the things that we're talking today about, Rod, are, are all sort of linked, aren't they, in some way, you know, talking again, again about, you know, bad state of repair of properties It's because of the rising cost of like, you know, landlords who've been in the game for a long time have this massive shock now about putting things right and the whole, you know, the hassle of getting it right, uh, leg legislation, 
and it is difficult it is difficult you know and i know that we're going to talk about the mass exodus of of landlords as well and these are some of the reasons aren't these that they can't afford or don't want to bring these properties up to standard yeah i kind of get it but also at the same time it's i think a lot of older landlords and landlords that have been in the game a while often can compare to what was what used to happen mm. and things have changed and you can't start comparing like investment opportunities about what happened 20 years ago you've got to look at what other opportunities are open to you right now and i do understand that look property investment is not passive if you're investing directly into it and or it's certainly not as passive as it used to be and that's for residential and commercial to be honest so i do think some people are and, and also landlords get older so they have less they're less inclined to put in as much effort because they might be coming to retirement, they might not have the energy levels, things like that. So I do think you're getting people that will sell because of those reasons as well. But let's move on to that kind of that topic about landlords leaving the market. What have you you seen there in terms of the yes. news? So in the news was some research by Hamptons. Yeah. So uh, based on, on the uh, vast network of agents and uh, the ONS, the Office for National Statistics, and they said 140,000 people who bought property in the 1990s sort of sold up last year. So sold yeah. up in the year. And they're predicting, you know, uh, that figure to be a half a million, you know, over the next five years where, you know, for ver- various reasons, age being the dominant reason. So yeah. if you can imagine that, you know, the people who bought the properties in the 1990s are looking to exit now. And they also uh, cited lower returns than, you know, like we were saying just a, a moment ago, right about, you know, expectations are still to what they perhaps used to be and lower returns now. And they also, you know, just looking at the whole economy, the tax regulatory changes, the things that they need to do, EPCs, etc. So those are all, age was the dominant reason, myriad of reasons why people will be wanting to get out now. Yeah, the PRS is under extreme pressure. And the problem is who's coming in to who's going to come in to pick up that slack to add those properties? We're not building enough. Councils aren't creating enough properties. Mm. Um, Some people will say, well, that's a good thing because now those properties can go on the market for home ownership. And yes, they could, and the homeowners could buy those. The problem you have is when you have people renting, the amount of habitants in, in in a property is far more than when it under home ownership. So you might have, a three-bed property with six people living there under a rent and the typical amount of people that would live there for a homeowner might be three and so suddenly actually what you're finding is there's more people in need of housing due to less rental stock being available Mm. and that's really the crux of it and so that can really create problems and not to mention the fact that you've got not everyone wants to be or is capable of being a homeowner so that's the other the other factor um all right okay very interesting i know it's kind of more bad news after bad news really isn't it there well it is yeah but uh we'll have a glimmer of hope at some point in this (laughs) yeah i mean let's go on to inflation then because we're, we're recording this on the 19th of april and this morning we had an inflation print come out for cpi so that CPI was 10.1%. Uh, so that's the Consumer Price Index. It's 10.1%. Now, that's down from 10.4% last month. But remember, that doesn't mean prices are going down. It just no. means the rate of which prices are rising is slowing. And yes. 
double digits is still a huge amount of inflation there. Hello, everyone. I, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk to you quickly about a sponsor of ours called Signature Property Finance. They are a bridging loan provider based in Solihull, Birmingham. The company also has regional offices in Cardiff and Edinburgh, which enable them to serve clients across the whole of England, Wales and Scotland. They were established in 2012 and Signature have two primary funding lines, private equity and a traditional debt facility via a high street bank. So what is it they fund and how can they help you? Well, Signature will lend against both residential and commercial property on a standard bridge with a maximum loan to value of 70% and 60% respectively for a term of between six and 18 months. They offer both a light and heavy refurbishment product, again, for a term of up to 18 months. Light refurbishment amounts to anything non-structural in nature, whereas anything involving structural changes requires a heavy refurbishment product. They will lend up to 75% of the lower of the purchase price or day one open market value. Signature also lend development finance up to a maximum loan of 5 million and for up to 15 units. The loan terms are up to 24 months and cover residential or mixed-use developments and they will lend up to the lower of 65% of the GDV or 80% of total costs. So why would you use them? Well, in, other, in the words of CEO Tony Gilbertson, Signature do what they say they're going to do. Provided the information given by the customer and or the broker on day one is accurate, the terms issued on day one will be the same terms that the customer draws down on. So if you've got any property finance requirements, please contact Tony Gilbertson at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at signaturepropertyfinance.co.uk. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And for a limited time only, they are doing a special offer for all Rodcast listeners. If you look to get finance with them and mention the Rodcast, you will get free legals for a limited time only. Yes, that's right. That's free legals for a limited time only. Just mention the Rodcast. They really are a fantastic company that do what they say they're going to do and act quickly. Back to the show. Yeah. Now, I've had a look at the, um, the report on that. And what it shows, I mean... You've got CPI, Consumer Price Index, and then you've got CPIH, which includes the housing element. So that's mostly kind of housing and housing services. So that will be things like utilities as well. Now, the, the CPIH has gone down to 8.9% from 9.2% last month. So again, it's all moving in the right direction, albeit mm. quite slowly. And then we also, from the CPI, the things that have gone up the most... So increases the most were food, okay, and recreation. Things that have gone down the most have been fuel, so petrol at the pumps, things like that. And core CPI, which is the thing that actually is almost the most important thing when we're looking at what the Bank of England is going to do in response, remained the same as last month at 5.7%. So that would exclude food and energy, essentially? Yeah, really. core CPI excludes what they call the most volatile hmm. things, which are typically food and energy. I mean, the thing that, that shouts out to me 
from this and what's relevant as property investors is the bit about food for me. Mm. And the reason of that is if you look at what your tenant type is, when food prices go up, it disproportionately affects the lower earning households because more of their income is spent on food, lots more. And as food prices go up, it means far more of their income starts to be spent on food. And that's got to be taken from somewhere. And the likelihood is it's going to be taken from their housing budget. So if you are a landlord and you're renting out to tenants that are on the lower end of the income spectrum, then maybe you should be quite concerned about that. So if you're looking at raising rents, how are they going to afford to pay that if all their other costs are disproportionately increasing as well, or there are staples of, of living, food probably being the major one. So that would be a concern for me, those tenants. And I would feel that that end of the market is more at risk from arrears from voids from damage because they might we talked about damp earlier they might not be turning the heating on because they can't afford to pay the rent and the heating things like that so i would be concerned as a landlord about that that sector and that's really what i've pulled out from from that bit of information yeah and what i what i noticed rod was that you know uk being in in double digits 10.1 Still significantly sort of, you know, as far as, you know, inflation goes, than some of the European counterparts. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't think there's, well, none of the kind of GA are in double digits, let's put it that way, no, no. as far as I can see. So, yeah, it is concerning. I mean, look, food is volatile because it's affected by supply chain, still got this war going on. Also, there's been bad weather across Europe that's meant a lot of the things that we do import food-wise have been affected. So it'll be interesting to see how food comes down over the next kind of two to three months as the things that we're importing are hopefully not affected by the weather anymore and things like that. So, yeah, let's wait and see what happens there. Um, Again, people might be thinking Brexit as well. So I think it's definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, I think I think Jeremy Hunt is is still saying that he's he's going to see this uh, half by the end of the year. I mean, what's he saying? Half oh, CPI, so CPI yes. down to five percent by December. Yeah, I mean, I'd be impressed if it does get there. Mm. I, I would be, yeah, because it's. But a- would you say we're certainly in line for another uh, Bank of in- in- England base rate rise on on what's May the fourth, isn't it? I think it's difficult. I mean, where you've got core CPI remain the same that may give them kind of time to pause but i i don't know i mean if it was me i'd probably still look at a 0.25 percent rise because i feel i still think you've got to keep driving that down and people might say well you can't fix supply side inflation with interest hikes and that that's a, a fantastic point they're absolutely completely agree but it's not all supply side. As we can see, that core inflation is still up at kind of 5.7%. And we've seen that actually to get inflation down, that core inflation down, interest rates typically need to go up higher. So mm-hmm. still at 425 we're a bit off there. But again, I mean, look, is there any harm in waiting a month and pausing? Yeah, 
they might be giving a bit of wiggle room for that, especially seeing as what's going on in the US. But yeah, it's certainly an interesting one, but they do really need to get a handle on this inflation because, I mean, inflation negatively affects far more people than recessions and interest rate rises in the whole. So probably not something that property investors want to hear. So on to the last point, um, something I, I posted about on LinkedIn this morning. One of my favorite metrics is when looking at affordability is uh, released by Nationwide every quarter, which is the percentage of income from first-time buyers that goes to servicing their monthly mortgage costs. Hmm. Now, last quarter, so Q4 2022, that metric for the UK as a whole was 39.4%. So 39.4% of first-time buyers' income is spent servicing their mortgage. And for London, it was 66.5%. So to show how quite scary those numbers were, here's what those scores were just before the property crashes of 1990 and 2008. So in 1990, the UK as a whole was 48%. So still a bit of wiggle room there. The long-term average, by the way, is just under 30%. But London went up to 79%. So again, a bit bit of difference, but the long-term average for London is about 50%. So we're still way above London. Now, 2008, the UK was at 45% and London was at 61%. So London actually lower than what it was here. Now... At the beginning of April, the new figures came out for Q1 2023. Now, not only did these figures come out lower, but they'd also gone back and revised the previous quarter's figures, which I've never seen before, and revised them down by about 12%. So meaning that actually it was more affordable. So actually, these are quite, although the figures are still quite high, I mean, they're at 30, what are they, 34.9% for the UK as a whole, and London is 58.9%. I mean, they're still high, but they're lower than where they were kind of 2015, 2016, Mm. for for London anyway. I mean, but that's a massive, that's about a 12% adjustment on the previous quarter. So really interesting to, to kind of understand why that's happened. But again, much more positive in terms of how affordable things are compared to what we were looking at three months ago. And certainly for for affordability and house prices there as well. So I mean, what can happen when that metric goes up? We've got two things that can happen. Either prices can come down, so house prices reduce, or you can have wages go up to meet that. And we, we have had a bit of both of that. I mean, wages have come up i mentioned i think in one of the previous episodes pretamonje and costa coffee have both done three increases for all their staff pay in the last 12 months totaling about 19 percent. and we're seeing all the public services going on strike getting agreements done as well so wages are going up they are catching up there's always going to be a lag between inflation and wage but as the bank of england keeps saying they don't want this wage price spiral to to keep happening but Mm. On the whole, it's quite positive. Uh, well, certainly more positive. We're not out of the woods yet, but it's more positive than things were for house prices um, three months ago. Yeah. Now, obviously, this is going to be dependent on area and assets. Yeah. So we talked about London. Certain other areas um, will be 
will be affected differently as well. So um, it's good if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, I'll put a link in the show notes and I'll, I'll put something out on, on there about some different locations and where they are in terms of the their long-term averages and, and maybe where they were when the last property crashes have happened. So to give a bit of context, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a positive spin. I, I'm not really sure why Nationwide had such a big kind of revised figure for last quarter, but yeah. Yeah, no, so no, I, I think we've uh, we've ended on a positive note there. Where I, I was quite pleased to see your post this morning. Actually, where you know, the, the, I think the final paragraph said something like, you know, that a good sign for house prices. Yeah, or a better sign, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so fantastic, guys. As always, loads to get on with and, and loads to kind of keep up with. I've, I've never seen such a volatile property mm. market. I mean, we're. We're in London. We're we're trying to sell a property at the at the moment. About to put it on the market, and agents are very confident they'll get one point eight for it. Now, wow. three months ago, if we had put that on, I would have been happy if I got one point six, but I think I don't think I would have. And if I put it on a year ago, we would have got about one point nine. So mm. I've never seen a market that's been this kind of that's yo-yoed this much. Yeah. It's quite volatile, and it's um, yeah, you've got to keep your finger on the pulse. So. As always, listeners, keep keep listening to, to these episodes to keep informed. If you enjoy them, please share them, leave us a review. And Raj, thanks again for, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Rod. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you.